0: yeah, 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 sha-la-la-la, baby, baby, baby.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Mr. Movie Club. I am your host, Barney Barn Barn, and this is the first ever episode of Mr. Movie Club. It's a conversation podcast where we talk to friends and colleagues of mine who are in the filmmaking industry or what I like to call the moving image industry because, as we all know, filmmaking has um, become such a different thing these days. There's old movies, there's new movies, there's TV, there's music videos, there's YouTube, there's Netflix, there's a million different ways to do filmmaking, to make movies, if you will. And we will cover it all uh, here on Mr. Movie Club. Have I said the name of the show enough? I'm going to say it one more time. Mr. Movie Club. Learning how to use this mic correctly. Uh, Some of you may know me from my other podcast, um, which is called (laughs) Useless Motivation. And this podcast is similar in that it stars me, Barney Barn Barn, but I talk to other people, so that's the that's the good part. Um, if you like open ended conversation podcasts, like Mark Maron in his WTF, that's kind of what I'm going for here. These are not interviews. I am not an interviewer, um, but I do like to have conversations. So these are going to be conversations with people who make moving images. And just sometimes just friends of mine who, you know, want to talk about movies. But we'll talk about lots of things. We'll talk about movies. We'll talk about the world today. We'll talk about creativity in general. And um, I think you're going to like it. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our first guest today, which is Mark Seliger. Uh, Some of you may know who he is. If you don't, you've seen his work definitely because he's done thousands of Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone covers he uh, does all the Vanity Fair photos at the Oscars um, every year, those beautiful shots when they're holding their statues, but they seem to be in some sort of beautiful setting. That's all my friend Mark's work. He's also a filmmaker. He directs music videos, sometimes commercials. I've collaborated with him uh, as a film editor, which is my, my day gig, um, for almost 20 years, which is kind of scary. And we talk about that. Um, sometimes he's had me on the set and he's uh he's been gracious enough to to give me credit as a co-director but um but really I'm someone who's a friend of his and a an editor for a long time and I really think you're going to like this conversation we talk about his photography work about his work with people like Kurt Cobain and other celebrities and now uh, we talk about Movies we both love, Mel Brooks, Terrence Malick, a whole bunch of stuff. So without further ado, I present to you the first episode of Mr. Movie Club and my conversation with Mark Seliger. Enjoy. Hello hello. Welcome to Mr. Movie Club. I am here with my good friend Mark Seliger. Say hi, Mark.
0: Yeah. Hello, everybody in movie movie club land. Movie club
1: land. So today, I am I have the the honor of having my buddy Mark. He is a he is of course a photographer, but he's a filmmaker, director, songwriter, all around creative guy. And we have known and known each other and worked together for. I keep wanting to say like I keep telling people ten or fifteen years, and then it dawns on me. It's like. No, we did
0: that first Lenny Kravitz video like 20 years ago. I'm like, yeah.
1: where does the time
0: go? 20 it's, years ago. It's kind of uh, scary. But, yeah, um, and um, Lenny keeps getting
1: younger. We've kind of come full circle. We've done a couple Lenny um, projects recently. Mm-hmm. But we're going we're gonna to talk about movies. We're going to talk about, you know, whatever. I'm going to have you give a brief history, which you're probably sick of uh, talking about. You were born Absolutely. in Texas, right?
0: Absolutely, just really sick of it. But yeah. I'm going but, I'm going to try to get through it. But you'll you'll fight through the uh <laughs> the, Yeah. No, um, yeah, I was born in in Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo. Is that near Houston? That is, that is up in the Panhandle. And um and then we moved when I was 5 to Houston. Ah. And um I've lived in Houston I've lived in Houston from uh 64 to 84. So Would you, do you consider it
1: like when you think of yourself, like, I think I've told you this, you know, I was born in Houston. I think we've had this talk. I always tell people like, it's like wherever you spent most of your like preteen to teen years, I think that's where you're from. So do you consider yourself, you still consider yourself a Texan, right? Yeah.
0: A Houstonian slash Texan. And then, um, but I've lived in New York now longer than I did in Texas. And, uh, and you know, this is really my home. So you think of yourself as a as a New Yorker, as most New Yorkers do? I kind of split it. Yeah. Depends on uh, who I'm talking to.
1: You shift gears from... Uh, if from- I'm talking
0: to New Yorkers, I usually tell them I'm from Texas. <laughs> right, right. And, and if I'm talking to Texans, I usually tell them I'm from New York. It's like the grass always looks greener Yeah. kind of psychology. It's, it's the mystery. Right.
1: So... Obviously, you know your main vocation is photography um were you always like i mean like did you draw first like were you were you into movies like what is it that got you into the visual field? Is it something you just always were attracted to yeah
0: i was I was kind of focused more on drawing and uh sculpture and more about the uh the the Sort of more spontaneous art classes. Right. And photography came from going to a dark room with a friend. Oh, cool. And, uh, and then la- later uh, taking a course at the Jewish Community Center. Oh, neat. Uh, this is high school or college? This is, this is no, no, no this, is, uh, this is junior high school. Wow. And I started printing. And I really fell in love with, with the process. I liked the immediacy of photography. I wasn't, my hand skills as an artist were, were pretty pitiful. So um, that, didn't, that didn't really last too long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really got the bug to work in the darkroom. And I didn't actually like to take pictures that much when I started, I just liked working and making prints. So it was almost like a function in, in order to be able to, to, to print a picture.
1: Well, it's it's interesting. So in, in other words, it's almost like you like the editing, dare I say. Yes. As an editor. Right. Um, right. Well, I and mean, then I learned how, how to
0: have a voice in photography and that became much more uh interesting to me than printing. So but I've always been a printmaker.
1: That's interesting. Um but one of the things I
0: notice like being on set with you sometimes is how
1: how instantly you make people feel comfortable. And obviously you work with a lot of celebrities and you know, politicians and stuff, and I've been on set with you a couple of times and I'm just completely tongue-tied and (laughs) embarrassed. um, But, like, like, have you always had that? Like, one of the jobs that we worked on together was your show Capture, which we'll plug at the end of this, which was a great um, YouTube show that you did a few years. It wasn't just YouTube, right? It was... Ovation Channel. Ovation Channel, and... um, where you interviewed other photographers, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was great to work with you on it, but it was also great just to watch and, and hear other photographers. I remember one of the episodes that I worked on with you, Bob Gruen, was talking about how nervous he was the first time he shot John Lennon. And what's funny is like a year later, you had me come out and help you on a uh, Ringo Starr piece. You called me up like, Barney, you want to come help shoot Ringo Starr? I was like, yeah, because I'm a Beatle freak. And what's funny, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I got the footage back, it was the same thing. I was I had to um, stabilize all the shots that I took because they were so
0: they um, were so blurry. Yeah. from that. they were so out of uh, yeah. They were just completely. I don't j- know, I think j- I ever told you.
1: I just we I used most of the main camera, which I, you know you had a, a you know another cinematographer do, but all my B roll stuff I had to like you know anyway. <laughs> um, but it was funny because it made yeah. me think of that Bob Gruen story. So did you ever go through that when you oh, started abso- doing?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think uh there's always that um that uncomfortable moment of 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 just having to deal with you know somebody famous or somebody that is like a, a very public figure, right? And then, you know. Getting the courage up to sort of just make it seem no problem everyday life. Because obviously,
1: then, I, when I see you, it seems like you've done it your whole life. So would you say it's kind of like you've just like fake it till you make it? Kind of thing? Yeah, and, it's
0: it's it's really about um, just psyching yourself into just, you know, not gushing too much over people and then knowing when to gush. Yeah, because everybody likes, you know, to know that that you appreciate their work, especially when you're going to like stick them in front of your camera for an hour and not let them move. And uh, and I think so much about what we do as photographers is, especially in portraiture, is to make people feel comfortable so that in between those moments, you can get something that's never been done before.
1: It does seem that that, at least now at this point in your career, um, seems to me... One of your main assets is how comfortable you make people um I, ho- I hope I'm making you as comfortable as you make uh are I'm, star and President I'm Obama. very
0: comfortable are you this chair is very comfortable and you brought along Willie your dog here, which knows my can dog see, willie she
1: looks real he he looks really comfortable at the moment yes. so I willie is it.
0: reclining
1: One of the things you've been doing the last few years is and this kind of relates this way i'm going to roll it into movie cl- movie club is you've been doing all the, um, you obviously do a lot of stuff for Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. You've been doing the, uh, the Vanity Fair party at the, uh, at the Oscars for what, uh-huh. five, five years now? Four years? Six, six years. Six, jeez. I think the first year you did it, you called me at, you know, at White House where I uh, do my commercial editing work, and we were talking about some project, and I was like, where are you? And you were like, blah, 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 Oscars, and uh, I remember thinking, oh, he's working on some Oscar De Laurentiis job or something. Oh. And this, this uh, assistant of mine a couple of weeks later goes, I think your friend Mark did all these beautiful photographs of the actors at the Academy Awards. So I was like, Oh, Oscars. So, Got
0: it. So that's, that's how slow on the uptake I am. But oh, um, you live in a very insular town, New York. It's, it's, yeah. If it's, it's not this, New York, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's
1: not real. Um, but what I noticed on the, like I was helping you go through some of the behind the scene footage and um, one of the one of the really cool things I think I told you about this was when you were with um, Alfonso Caron. Am I pronouncing his name right? And in sort of the outtakes of how you were setting up the photograph for him, it, just to explain to everybody what the Vanity Fair party does is they is you work with them and you do a set outside of the party, inside the party. In, oh, it's inside the party. Oh yeah, I, I thought it was like kind of right outside. Yeah, I've never been there. It's with you.
0: right. It's right inside of the party. As you walk in, we are the first stop so
1: do the do the actors stop with you like before they go to the party or is it kind of like after they've had a few cocktails so it's a mix yeah
0: um you know you try to grab people when they're walking into the party uh they go through the red carpet and then they come to us and uh if you can get them early that's great but we've definitely had some pretty late night funny moments where people are just you know they've had it's a little silly one too many (laughs) in and out burger N- names will not sort be mentioned, of, sort but, of. Yeah. Say, yeah, sort of speak. Yeah, but um, but, and what's great about
1: that stuff is obviously, obviously, you've done portrait work forever. And what's great about that whole stuff you do—the Vanity Fair party, Oscar shots—and if anyone wants to see them, they can just Google Seliger Oscars and yep, and put on image, and they all come up, and they're they're really beautiful. Is it's, it's, it, it in a way they're. They're kind of a document because you're getting these people right after they've won awards or, or been to a party mm-hmm. or been to a big show. But it's also very art directed because you guys build a whole set, right? And it's yeah. almost like a little movie set. in a way. Yeah,
0: well, what we've done over the years, we've figured out um, to build the set around lighting so that right. we actually create a room that is like a movie set. Yeah. And you were mentioning Alfonso. I remember him coming in. Yeah, it was there and, a great. Yeah,
1: tell tell that because he he seemed as it, it was so great. He just won the two Academy Awards yep. that night, right? And you're sitting there working all night, and I, I saw the two of you just you started explaining to him the lighting, and it was it was kind of like seeing two kids from art school again, and like you saw that that excitement. You know, yeah, you're both like successful professionals. It was so nice to see that, that. Yeah,
0: and it was it was a it was a it was a great way to to end the evening. Was to to meet him and I've been a fan for many, many years and, yeah. um, and just to see that he was appreciative and respectful that we had gone so far in terms of just this, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's like you set it up so you could do daylight excessive. or tungsten. Yeah. We do daylight, you do nighttime, you know, yeah. you create all these different, you know, moods and times a day. And, um, and we have a great, uh, I have a gaffer,
1: have a whole crew that you bring. Yeah,
0: through. a small crew, and then we have, you know, this engineer on a board. That essentially we're just telling you, "Okay, one panel off, three panel on." You know, just very right. much like the way you do a movie. It'd be funny if, yeah, you know, like I saw Alfonso's
1: kind of eyes going, "Oh, like if he hadn't, like I got to do this on my next yeah. film." So to see little, uh, inspir- yeah. It's great to see a photographer inspiring filmmakers. Um, do, do you guys like? Is it get different every year? Like it sounds like you guys have been building on it every year? It's
0: it's very different every year, but it's always a um, pretty hectic moment for me. Yeah. Because we're sometimes we're shooting no more than three to seven pictures per person, which is which is fine. But quicker than the way you usually work, I take
1: it. Yeah. And and you a have like quicker. And Academy you're, Award winners online. Which is, yeah. Probably a rare, a rare event,
0: but um, well, and what you're doing too, which is part of the um part of the muscle for me is you're thinking quickly on your feet, you're directing people very quickly, right. you're helping them you know move in and out of there because sometimes you do have like three or four people waiting in line to to come be photographed, so it's a very strange and and unique way for me to work, but it is definitely not very easy it's little, it's it's you have to sort of train yeah weeks before in order to be able to do that night because you are working at an incredible pace
1: whereas when it's at your own studio i assume it's still still high tension sometimes
0: but it's a little more well you have you know you have time to work with people to, yeah. and to you know get to know them and to figure each other out a little bit yeah this is so different Is it like, you know, you did the capture show
1: and now we're doing an interview show. Is it like that? Like, do you like, if you're working with uh, an actor or director or somebody like that, do you make it a point to kind of familiarize yourself with their latest work and stuff? Or do you find it's more just about being...
0: Well, when you work, when I do... um, um, Typically, when I work with a magazine and we're developing an idea, um, there's a process to writing down all your you know, your ideas, putting them in columns in terms of different ways of approaching it. And that just doing that process takes a lot of research in order to be able to come up with the idea, like what the person is, what they've been working on, what they're mean to you. Um, and then kind of maybe flipping on its head and doing it from totally polar opposite approach, which would be, you know, a technique that we would use too. So there's all kinds of ways to be able to, Create um, a photographic story,
1: and, and essentially, like when you're doing an editorial spread for a magazine. Th- the other way it's similar to filmmaking, aside from lighting and lenses and all that, is it's storytelling. At the yeah, end of the day, it's right?
0: uh, telling a story within one frame. Right, and um, or if it, it's a magazine spread that can be yeah, a it few can, if it's a fashion story, you know, and you have twenty pages, right. then um, you can create that as well. So, I mean, it's always a luxury to be able to have many pages to tell the story, but um, magazines are getting much smaller. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's it's you have to do it a little quicker now. The the real estate is is shrinking. The real estate is shrinking.
1: And I assume when you're doing a, a cover, it's kind of a different sort of process than when you're doing. A, well, covers a are always
0: based on, or have been since I've been doing them based on the combination of um, art direction and topography, um, really marrying those two aesthetics, which is the, you know, the photograph and then the design.
1: Right, right. And it's, you know, we're both musicians sometimes too, and obviously you've worked with a lot of, uh, a lot of bands. You've photographed everyone from George Harrison to Kirk Cobain. Um, do, do you find working with bands and artists, is it a, is it a very different vibe from working with uh, directors and actors, and you know, sort of more, you know, yes, it film is. people?
0: Yeah, it is because musicians typically have, you know, they know what they they know what their style is, they know who they are. Uh, you're not really going to, you know, embellish that too much. Um, they know their look is what you're saying they know their look and, and they typically don't want to be changed too much and so you know which is great i like the idea of just having somebody come on to the into the studio
1: or to the set in which case that makes you more of a documentarian in those situations as opposed to stylist. no it's just, just a, it's
0: it's well maybe documentary documentary portraiture right but um but it's still portraiture like what's am
1: Pardon me if you've told this story a million times, but I know people will want to hear it. Wasn't there a whole story about... You did the cover where Kurt was wearing the... Uh, corporate, corporate magazine. Corporate magazine. Still yeah, sick. isn't there like a story with yeah, that? Um, he didn't want to wear it or, you did, or somebody didn't want him to wear it? No. Well, we were
0: in Australia, um, and it was right after Nevermind had broke. Right. And I had met with um, the other two band members pre-show. Uh Chris and Dave. Yeah. And Kristen and Dave Grohl. Yeah. yeah. And we were going to uh, just kinda go over the plan for the following day, which is the shoot day. And we were gonna be on location, so um I I know I wouldn't have a chance to really get to them before. And we started talking and I said, Hey, you know, obviously like you guys have your thing, you know, you're not gonna we don't want you to change you in any way, but maybe cuz i knew that kurt had been wearing a lot of these t-shirts on stage where he's supporting you know these bands that right. are local from in seattle and uh you know i just said you know if it's possible for you know you guys and maybe you could ask kurt not to wear t-shirts with writing on it that would be Amazing just as an aesthetic sort of choice well, I or? just felt like if there you know you try to keep it as sort of clean right. and as and as you know letter letter or or word free so that the the type doesn't compete with that right and uh, or doesn't compete with the type I should say doesn't
1: mm-hmm. compete with the type on the for a cover, yeah
0: yeah, yeah, and you're not reading too many different things, yeah, <laughs> and of course uh you never. Really tell people what they should or shouldn't do because they'll do exactly right. the opposite especially someone
1: whose whole career
0: Yeah, know. it's all about a reluctance in in terms of the in being turning commercial and everything, yeah. but I just didn't even think about it and I I show up at the location and then we're setting up and the band pulls up door opens out walks Chris and Dave uh-huh. laughing <laughs> and then Kurt kind of, you know, pulls himself out of the van, C- covering, it up, he covering it up. And he's covering it up. He's wearing <laughs> his his uh, argyle, not his argyle, but his uh, cardigan sweater, classic cardigan sweater—and right. his big white sunglasses. That you know, they 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 look just completely out of, you know, they're iconic now. But yeah, yeah. yeah but they, 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 were just, the they were bizarre at yeah. the time. were bizarre at the time. And uh, and he opens up his sweater, and it says "Corporate magazines still suck." <laughs> and I try to negotiate with him with the keep the glasses off, and maybe wear the t shirt or or take the t shirt off, and maybe wear the sunglasses. Anyway, it was like, nope, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And I sweated all the way back from Australia, which is a long time to sweat. <laughs> and uh, it's a and twenty
1: twenty three hours sweat.
0: Yeah. And then I uh, I sent the the photographs into the magazine. And um they loved it, and they ran it just like that, yeah. and I think Kurt really appreciated you know that i I didn't try to you know in any way uh, change it well,
1: I'm assuming you know the people you worked for at Rolling Stone, Jan Winner, and all those people kind of i mean the whole for those who were, were around at the time, the whole Nirvana and Seattle scene had such a particular thing to 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 ask someone like that not to wear a shirt like that would yeah. almost be kind of missing the point. And yeah. it seems like
0: Rolling Stone was smart enough to, and,
1: to understand that. Yeah.
0: You know, and, and I think Rolling Stone really uh, was prepared to, you know, to make the turn in music at the same time because yeah. there were so many different bands coming out of... of alternative bands coming out, yeah. of, uh, out of Seattle. yeah, And, um, and they had... They needed to embrace it. Unfortunately, there was a lot of other bands too that were coming out at the same time that were, you know, from the other side, like a lot of the boy bands. Yep, yep. A lot of things were happening too, so they There's were an sort interesting of sharing...
1: time. The mixture of commercial, just musically, of
0: commercial music and really like anti-commercial
1: yeah. music, which got really commercial,
0: ironically. Right. Well, it... I and I and I and I started to and I started to feel, you know, pretty beat up. Doing hmm. so many of those other covers, you know, I loved the the mixture of doing the Nirvana and you know Soundgarden and right. even though it was challenging with people that were so reluctant, hmm. but um, you know, then it then it
1: just all changed. Well, and tell me if I got this right. That's around that time you started directing videos and stuff, right? Yeah, and you did uh, Sharon Osborne, yep. which was great, and you and then you did Holes. Uh, um She're not Sharon Osbourne. Joan Osborne. Joan Osborne, thank you. Yeah. I thought I wrote it down. I wrote down Osborne, but I didn't yeah. right now, I, was, I just assumed I knew the first name. Sharon Osborne is obviously um married to uh the Black Sabbath guy. But um but so you started doing music videos and stuff, and did you find that bands were liking the f- I found like a lot of photographers like your friend Matt Mahurin and, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm trying to think of some other names. At that time in the 90s, a lot of photographers started getting into the music video world yeah. and kind of becoming filmmakers, which, yeah. I mean, I thought that that whole time of MTV, the 80s with Michael Jackson was one thing, but the 90s with the sort of, you know, the grunge or punk scene blowing up the way it did, and yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, and Nirvana, it seemed that really opened up the door to a lot Inch of creativity, yeah. you know?
0: There was a lot of... Uh there's a lot of creativity and a lot of money being spent in terms of, you know, this new outlet of presenting a band. And it yeah. was really, you know, it was really based on technology, which is what's changed the music industry also. yeah, It was really a um, a pretty fruitful time for visual people yep. in, in all directions. So a filmmaker could really uh, explore some of their you know greatest visual tricks in a very short window and have nice big budgets and then a photographer could step out of you know the confines conf- the confines of, of of just a still image and move into multiple images right and at the end of the day this is something I I forgot to write down but if you think about
1: it filmmaking really is just a bunch of photographs even today with the digital technology it's a bunch of photographs strung together obviously Well, that's... Motion creates a different thing, but...
0: um, Yeah, and I I really feel like, you know, the movies that I am more... I am most receptive to in terms of inspiration are really built on imagery, on single imagery. Well, this is a good segue,
1: and here I'll tell another um, story about working with you. Um, I had the... The honor? Of uh, working with you on the Avicii video. Right. Um, uh, Wake me up, and... um, Here's a little story, it's, and I think you'll remember this. Remember our DP, uh, Marcus Burnett? Remember the night before we shot, you had us over to your place. We made steaks, and you played us, um, uh, I almost said Days of Heaven. It's uh, Heaven, uh, Heaven's, Gate. Heaven's Gate, directed uh-huh. by, um, don't tell me. Michael Chimino. <laughs> you got me. See, You're, you got much better notes than me. Um, and I remember thinking, uh, I don't think I ever told you this, but I'll... They could take this the wrong way I remember thinking mark is crazy this is a movie that that put uh, that a book was written about it about how it they spent too much money and it put a uh, a company out of business and this is like it was coming up on like eight years ago but it was way after the 90s heyday so the, the I think it's fair to say the budget on that you know we had a crane and stuff but it didn't quite have the budget it was a it was a low budget it was a, it was a, I think it's fair to say it was a low budget so I remember thinking Oh, this is crazy of Mark to play as this film as inspiration because you know we don't you know, we don't have you know the the resources that Chimino had in that film. And then it, it dawned to me, and it, it's you know it's, I'm gonna kiss your butt here a little bit, which is one of the things that I've loved work about working with you over the years is that is that you always set the bar high and you set it in a way where it's like, hey, it, you know, it doesn't matter if we're doing a branding thing or a music video, or you're always like, let's make this as good as it can be, like is that something that you've always had? I mean, you have a great work ethic, but you also have a, I don't even want to call it a work ethic. It's like a creative ethic. Like, have you always had that in your work? Yeah. I
0: mean, I, I, I feel like when you sign up for something, you got to throw yourself into a hundred percent or just don't just don't do it. There's no real reason to do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I, you know, I got my legs working with really, really low budgets in magazine Mm -hmm. world and uh you know that changed at a time when magazines were in their golden you know ages and there was there was some money being spent there as well but for the most part we were always trying to figure out how to solve the problem and to do it you know where there was a memorable experience and so that's that was really became my mantra was sort of the, the memorable experience of creating your art regardless of whether you had financial obstacles, whether you had, you know, talent obstacles. There's there's, there's always, always There's always a way to say solve the problem and, you know, there's little room in in the middle, but there's plenty of room on top. So you kinda kinda shoot high.
1: Well speaking of obstacles, do you find that there's sort of more cooks in the kitchen, uh, if you will, when it's um, a film set versus a photography set? I imagine obviously you're still working with stylists and set makers and all that, but I imagine even on a lower budget thing, sometimes the crews seem bigger on films. Do you, do you find that's something you have to adjust to sort of work-wise or creatively? or Not really. No?
0: I mean, I find that the moving parts and the amount of um, detail increases when you go to motion. Right. Uh, obviously. Um But we sort of handle photography the same way, like even the simplest form, you know, we make sure that, you know, the lighting is just absolutely perfect, that there's um, a good dialogue between you and the subject, that um, you're not overthinking something that you're really trying to put your subject first, Right. Um, unless it is a big concept with a uh, you know, I use the example of like a comedian where you're telling a joke, and then in that process of telling a joke, you know, you might take it to a a, a much more you know produced experience. Hmm. So there's so many different levels to the way that you do. You can do a a, a concept and take a picture, and you know, the, a film is is a series and a connector of imagery and right. ideas and um, and you just have to wear a different hat but I love directing I find it to be very gratifying and uh, challenging and just builds a, a, a different kind of language and when I come back after doing that I I, I am grateful to have just a camera and a an assistant.
1: it's a I mean since we both kind of play guitar and do a little bit of music on the side would you almost consider it's like the difference between like you know, doing like a single or doing an album or maybe the difference between like playing your guitar alone and playing with a band. It's like it's all the same thing, but it's just it's just almost accordion like the way like yeah. the crews grow and you know. And and as far as the collaboration, the other thing I was gonna say, you know, having worked with you for years is um is I've seen you on the set, I've seen you be stern with people, but it seems like you're the kind of collaborator who you'll make sure you get the best out of whoever you're working with but you'll you'll also let them do their job which you know i find again working some other with some other people <laughs> that's not always the case where someone is like hey i'm going to push you to do the best you can do but i'm going to i know that your expertise is makeup or editing or whatever whatever it is you know well
0: i i i think what makes a really good artist is collaborating with great support and trusting that that great support is bringing their a game, right and that to me is really an important thing. I do intuitively trust my own ideas, and um, when I'm listening to somebody explain sort of what they want to do and how their what their process is and what the results will be, i you know I do take a definitive in stance on definitive viewpoint, yeah. Right. yeah. But point. you're clear about it too. Yeah, and what, what, why I'm doing what I'm doing and how yeah. it needs to work because I've already figured out, sort of within the space and the time and the talent, whatever it's going to be, of how much I can actually push, pull, do, and, and uh, a lot of it, moving parts. Yeah, it's it's there's there's never not a compromise when it comes to right. work, but. I do feel like you have to give people the benefit of the doubt in order to be able to perform as well as they possibly can. And if they're not, then you have to have a discussion with them and make sure that they're, you know... That you're going in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, the when I talk to, like, younger editors, you know, as a film editor being my main vocation, it's like I try and explain, hey, it's fine, you want to put your idea out there, but at the end of the day, filmmaking is a collaborative effort and you know there's usually one director or sometimes on commercials it's often the creative director and it's like you have to decide what story are you telling who's who's writing that story if you have eight people writing a story this is going to be mush if if you're all helping tell one story then it's gonna it's gonna
0: yeah i mean you're gonna
1: get a better piece of work with a with a real vision you know what i mean
0: yeah i know but i i've I've had the opportunity to work with some just incredible, incredible DPs. Everybody from like yep. Harris Savitas to, you know, John Perez and we Lenny's piece. That's our first thing we worked yeah. on together, yeah. And, um, and, you know, these guys, when they're, when they're working with you and you see that type of enthusiasm and putting that kind of energy out, taking their talents to a whole new level, it's pretty, pretty great. Yeah,
1: and 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 it it seems like you you respect that when you when you see someone who's working. But again, as long as you're all working in the same direction, this might be a good uh, way for us to segue, since We're talking about DPs and and technique and all that kind of stuff into what I call on my show uh, Inside Film Ball, which yes. um, some people think is a ridiculous title. I was interviewing my independent film directing friend Ralph. And he was like, inside football, what's and inside film ball, what's that mean? I'm like, it's like inside baseball, but film. And he paused and he goes, It's your show. So so this is this is the inside <laughs> film ball. So the thing I wanted to ask you about, and you know, again we can cover both photography and, and and uh film, um, you know, the way everything's kinda switched to digital and it's actually opened it up, I think it's made it so you have a lot more media out there and more content as they say. Um do you miss... Here's, here's the way I want to uh, phrase the question. Do you miss the limitations that film used to... I'm, I'm assuming for both photography and film, you, you do a lot of mostly digital stuff these days, right? Yeah. Do you still shoot some stuff with actual film
0: and darkroom stuff? Or is it just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in photography, uh, I would say 40% of what I shoot is film... Wow, so actual still film. Still
1: almost half, huh?
0: Um, and pretty, pretty specific about any time I'm working on a personal project. It's film, yeah. yeah because yeah. we put photographs on the wall and, and archival on, purposes too. Yeah, and it's just part of the process. Part it's process, process, process for. Yeah, yeah. I don't find anything. Um, particularly challenging about looking at photographs on a phone or on a computer right right you know that's just not the way that I was built that's why you still print them out right even if it's gonna
1: end up on something
0: you're you're making yeah we prints. make prints yeah, yeah yeah and I still print in the darkroom yeah nice. and uh if I'm doing a show I'll be in there making the prints for the show so it's really important that I don't forget that that's what i signed up for from the beginning yeah um that, there is a lot of opportunity to use digital in the commercial world because the way that it's going to be seen and delivered distributed. and that's fine that's yeah. cool i mean i don't have any problem with that but if i'm doing a if i'm really doing a piece for myself you know i do think about what the process is and what the ending result will be will it be you know Will it be Mexican food or Chinese food or, you know, right. Jewish bagel? Or, you know, what's That's it going right. to be? And, and, and all those tools are at my fingertips. Everything from the kind of cameras that I pick, the kind of film I'm using, whether it's going to be printed on a, uh, you know, silver print or whether it's going to be platinum or whether it's going to be, you know, inkjet print. You know, right. whatever the process is, it's, you know, that, that has to be, sort of accounted for before I started a project. Yeah.
1: And, and obviously digital has made things a lot easier for people and again, both in photography and in film. Yep. And uh, you know, we talk about music a lot and you know, I have friends in the music industry. You're you're working on an album now. It's the same argument that all these industries have. It's like you have people who are like, Oh, I, I love the texture and all this, you know you know, people get nostalgic about about the actual um I had a I had a Teacher in in college uh, on a course I was taking, and it, it was right, right when things were k- kind of switching for for editorial. Which is, um, and he was like, "Oh, but I, when I edit something, I like to really touch and feel the film." And part of me was like, "Well, you can do that, but it's still quicker to do it on a computer." But you know, it's it's that trade off. Um, you know, I I I I think in in all these fields, music, photography, film, I think there is. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like you say, it's a, a lot of it is about the process, and obviously you learned in a dark room. Um, but like I went to in, in LA a few years ago. You know, I'm a big Stanley Kubrick fan, and they had a I don't know if you got to see it. They had a, a Kubrick exhibition. Yep. Where they put? Did you go to that thing? Sure. Remember they put the chairs from 2001, and they they rebuilt the a milk bar. You know, from Clockwork Orange, and I remember walking in and going, "Oh, now I get it." Like when when you go online and people obsess about lenses and, and film stock and it's like oh the most important thing is what are you shooting yeah. and I remember it really hit me like what well, this feels like Kubrick even though it's not on celluloid and, and I'm seeing it in 3D in yeah. person and it's like, it's like
0: what he decided to shoot was um, so it almost doesn't yeah. matter what the piece yeah, of wood is I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of 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 having the tools to do whatever you want to do but not obsessing over the tools like I don't think a great photograph really comes from a camera I mean that's I don't want to spoil the mystery for all these you know people that are Gearheads, because that's part of the uh, the allure is like the mystique. It's like the Fred Flintstone closet with all the cameras falling out. Now we have (laughs) lots of cameras that we use, but we use them for different reasons. Like it's like we talked about. It's like going into a deli on Sixth Avenue and opening up the fourteen-page Bible of different things you can order, and uh, it's pretty daunting. But when you really think about it, it's like what are the taste buds? Right and then right. acquiring that taste and figuring out what it's gonna feel like. So I like your food analogies
1: here. It's very,
0: Yeah, well I'm hungry. It's like a cook. You're a I'm a very, cook. very hungry. Or is it just you haven't had lunch today? I have it's not funny. had lunch today, so I'm going right for
1: But just to stay on that gear thing, I remember reading an interview with Paul McCartney, who you've photographed before and, and met. Um I read an interview where yeah. I think it was like in Guitar Magazine and they were asking him, like, what kind of strings do you use? And he was like, I don't know, mate. <laughs> he was like, I have a guy put them on. Like, he just... And, like, to gearheads, I must be like, right. how can Paul McCartney know, not know what kind of strings yeah. he makes? It's because it's not yeah. because of the, uh, the tech stuff. And I think that can end our tech talk. That can end... Uh, our, our, our TED talk, did you say? It, our tech tech, tech, Ted tech talk. talk. Our inside film ball, let's not, as let's I like not to call get it. this.
0: So well, you know, the thing that you, that you were talking about with... Um, you know, picking your five favorite films. Yes,
1: that's our next thing. Is seven. is
0: is you know I. It was a hard decision because, you know, I have this like quirky Gemini side where I like you know completely slow, languid, poetic films like and heavens then, like heavens gate like heavens gate yeah. and then I go to you know more more or less like a um, uh, Mel Brooks. Yeah, theme. I, and, I do
1: the same thing I love the high and the low but I, I love the fact that I, when we were setting up for this I texted you I said just bring me a list of your five favorite films and what you basically texted back was Heaven's Gate and Dumb and Dumb <laughs> which I thought A, that's not five there's only two and uh, I was like yeah, that's an interesting uh,
0: Yeah, so I started off with my first one which um, you know I, I almost think of it about when I was being influenced in terms of Here was a greater level of thinking about film, because I didn't really have parents that went and saw, you know, movies based on filmmaking. You know, it was probably entertainment. Yeah, it was entertainment. It was like, you know, we grew up in the suburbs in Houston and whatever was the big movie. uh, I mean, I did see Ben-Hur. Which was I pretty, think I've seen that. Yeah, sure which was pretty that. incredible. That must have been great on the screen. Yeah. Like, I think I've seen it on
1: TV. Yeah, but... yeah.
0: I saw Ben Hur, and my parents took us to see uh The Godfather at of a course. drive-in. Oh, nice. And that was pretty memorable because I was about 13. Wow. And I read the book oh. before I saw the movie. My brother made me read the book. Then, what was your book, movie, or you mm-hmm. liked them both? Or? I liked them both. Yeah. Um, but then when I came to New York I had a roommate that was one of my first roommates was a real you know real uh, film buff not only a film buff but he was like an encyclopedia of film oh yeah cool He's one of those guys that just like one of those guys who worked at Kim's Video worked at Harvard yeah I mean lived sorry went to school in Harvard he knew everything about everything and specifically remember remember Trivial Pursuit of course I would not play with him yeah. It was just, it was just, he would embarrassing. just crush everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And um, my wife's like that with Jeopardy. We have a Jeopardy board, no,
1: a video game, and she just wins all the time. Yeah.
0: I just, it's daunting to meet people like that. But anyway, he introduced me to Malik. Oh, okay. Yep. And so my first real kick in the, in the head was Days of Heaven. Beautiful. And, um, you know, and I was pretty unaware of a lot of great filmmakers, but once I saw Malik, I just was I was completely changed I mean I was I everything from the idea that the b-roll became the hero right and that right. the dialogue was really about your the 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 more sort of introspective inner voice yeah and um I just fell in love with the the the, the style and then that led me to going to Badlands which was not part of my top five but Days of Heaven, yes. Yeah, Days of Heaven, I love.
1: It's funny, and I like Thin Red Line, which he did yep. in the 90s, I think. But um, what was that last film he did? Um, this is where we do need a Google machine. The The really abstract one with uh, Sean Penn and Oh, Brad yeah, Pitt. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Like, And I love that movie, I too. I love that, too. Like, and it's funny, because I'm one of those people Like, at work, everyone's talking about Game of Thrones and all the Marvel movies, which I'm fine with. But like it's all about plot and I'm going to go back to Kubrick. Kubrick said something that was great was like a plot is something that you build your movie around but it's right. not what the movie is yeah. which I think and obviously Malick I mean not that his movies don't have plot but they're like you said it, I like what you just said about the B he makes the B-roll the hero and it's like the visual it's still storytelling but it's, it's almost more like music in a way it's like yeah. the way filmmakers like that work very it's, meditative it's, it's meditative and it hits you in a way that's not sort of linear and literal, you know? So I, 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 right. I, I love that kind of film. I yeah. wish there was more filmmaking like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I think... I think if I do a movie, which I hope to do at some point, uh, a feature...
1: We've, we've done a documentary. Yes, on we Wednesday. have.
0: <laughs> we have.
1: Concert. Um, concert. Um,
0: we have lots to talk about after this, too. Because yeah. I have a couple of ideas. Uh-oh. And then now I this go... It's my last podcast. Now sure. I go... Now I go to... Back in time. And this uh the rest of your top five? Yes. Back in time and I go to my tenth grade uh media teacher okay. in Houston made it required watching to go see young Frankenstein. Oh wow, that's great. <laughs> and then yeah. Two years ago, I was working with Judd Apatow on a Vanity Fair Remember issue, that. comedy issue, and I got to meet Carl Reiner and Mel ah, Brooks. Oh, that's awesome! And I had the luxury of asking Mel Brooks all the millions of questions that I had oh. about, you know, uh, not only Blazing Saddles, uh, sorry, not only um, Young Frankenstein, but also Blazing Saddles. Yeah, which I which. Obviously like I love her it. just both huge, huge, huge comedy yeah. movies and kinda of changed the face. But specifically young Frankenstein had such a depth to it. And yeah. he fought with the you know, with the studio to do black and white wow. and they and imagine. they and they were ready to pull the plug on the project when he said basically called their bluff and just said, like, hey, it's either going to be black and white or it's not going to happen. And he stuck um, to his guns. Stuck to his guns, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what's great? I mean, I love Mel Brooks, too.
1: And what's interesting is that, like, I think two of my, my best uh, comedy um, filmmakers are probably Mel Brooks and, and Monty Python. And both coming up around the same time in the 70s, what makes... Um, both the Monty Python films and a lot of the Mel Brooks films. Um, I, I think before that there was a whole thing of like, well, there's comedy films and then there's real cinema. And what those guys did was they were like, no, we can make a real movie, yeah. and it can still be entertaining and funny. And I think a lot of that stuff went on to inspire some of the funnier work of the Coen Brothers and more, and Wes Anderson and a lot of modern stuff where yeah. they're filmmakers, but they're also making something that, that's that's hysterical and and really, you know,
0: yeah, it was it was it was. It was great humor. Yep. It was incredible costume design. It was, you know, each shot is just. It was beautifully shot. I wonder who was the DP on that. Specifically,
1: Young Frankenstein was was like. I remember then going back and seeing the real Frankenstein and seeing what the references were. You know, like, I remember when I first saw it, like, I was like, oh, this looks like an old film. Like, that's all I knew. And then later I got into Hitchcock and, you know, um, all that old, you know, Everything was Cougar barred. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I got into like sort of black and white, um, you know, forties and fifties noir films after seeing Young Frankenstein. Yeah. I don't know if the same thing happened for yeah. you, but like, um, yeah, uh, I
0: I uh, I just had it. Like I said, that these were milestones in my movie life, where you know maybe not, you know, there's a hundred p- films that I just watched. Relentlessly, but yeah. these were sort of like the top five that I thought about. Like, I was about. So let's finish your list. So so, so far we have. So Days, we of, to... Days of Heaven, Young Frankenstein, uh, In the Mood for Love, One Car Why.
1: I don't know if I know that. It's an
0: amazing, amazing movie by a great Chinese director. Oh wow! And One Car Why is it recent or is it? It's not recent. Okay. Um, you gotta send me a link. And. It is the most... This is like the Chinese version of Days of Heaven. Oh, okay. It takes place in the 50s. And it's just this really beautiful, poetic moment of, you know, a couple, both are married to other people, and they live in the same building, and how they become, you know, first at strangers, then friends, and then the possibilities start to come about. That's but good. the filmmaking and the camera movement and the storytelling is so beautiful. Each one is like a, again, like a photograph. What's, and there's what's the director's name? Wan Karwai. Uh, and there's, what I love about it is that there's such a, there's such a languid, slow motion um Uh, overall feel to the movie like you know it's always raining and they're always slithering down the hallway watching each other and it just and the music is just incredible it's you know you'll you'll know the music once you hear it it's like a very famous soundtrack I I love seeing foreign films that are
1: obviously inspired by American filmmakers because sometimes they'll take like genres like noir or even science fiction or horror and they'll take it to an extreme that like even a Tarantino won't you know what I mean and you know, just that idea of like every scene is raining. You know, like that seems like such a noir, sort yeah. of not cliche, but like uh, type, type thing.
0: Well, I think this is that he has, you know, in his world, he is kind of the Terrence Malick of his is world. He? Cool. I'm gonna check. And that out. then um, I go to the David Lynch film, The Elephant Man. Ah. Again, a beautiful black and white. Right? Yeah, beautiful yeah. black and white, but I never tire of watching that film. Oh, my god, the storytelling is just so fantastic. I, ha-
1: I haven't seen that in years, but my friend Blake, who was a bass player in my band years ago, um, he, his memory of seeing it in the 80s was he went to see it, he sat down, there with a bunch of like, knuckleheads behind him going, I can't believe I paid $8 in this black and white. You know, and it's like, it's funny how black and white has almost kind of come back into vogue. Some of the yeah. stuff you and I have been working on recently has been...
0: Yeah, and I, I, I feel like there's just a classic experience with black and white. Lynch really inspired me visually, probably more on a photographic standpoint than any other right. director. Lynch, and I would say probably uh, Terrence Malick. Nice. They're, they're, they're real, That you, you can tell they're photographers, and they're... In, their, in the way that they think about things, yeah, and um, visual storytellers, yeah, but they're just you know they pay attention to the single frame, yeah, yeah. in a way that that is different from somebody who's watching a moving image. It's, it's not more, just it's not it's, just an action. It, you can just lock into one thing, yeah. and you can soak yourself into it. Was 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 that the first was um, Eraserhead the first Lynch film you saw? The first film, I, you know. I think not a head. Not a no. you, you mean Elephant, Elephant Man. Man? Yeah. I think the first one I saw was probably a head yeah. at an art film. What a bizarre film! And right? I didn't know. I didn't know what to think. But <laughs> but that was. I had the same experience. Yeah. I, I it was loved not. It, it was but. not. It was not something that I, you know, kind of nightmarish for me.
1: Yeah, but Elef- Elephant Man, because it still has a lot of the strangeness of a racerhead. But it's it's it had such beauty too, and just the performances. Yeah, too. I think I
0: I saw Double Bill up on at the Metro Theater on 103rd Street. Oh, nice. When I was in the in the 80s, when I moved into New York with my roommate, we saw uh-huh. like a a double header of uh, Eraserhead and Freaks. Wow! Yeah, and then I, and then I really did want to just kill myself. The, the the Metro
1: that's I grew up going to that theater, and uh, it's still there, but it's uh, it's abandoned, which is
0: sad. Um, so the so that kind of ends the my four fourth. So I only have one more. Okay. Can you imagine what that would be? Uh, dumb, and, dumb and Dumber. He- heaven's
1: Gate or Dumb and Dumber? We're <laughs> <laughs> we gonna go with Dumb and Dumber.
0: The last one is is funny that you should mention him, but is a uh, an Alfonso Cuarón film. Okay. Which is called uh, E 2 Mama Travián. Yep, I've seen that. It's and great. Um, that was was such a you know, coming of age, beautiful storyline. Um I loved the, you know, conflicts between the the friends and then the relationship with, you know, their new companion, the yeah, older yeah. woman. And, you know, there was such a sweetness to the way it was told and it was like pretty erotic.
1: Yeah. It was it was
0: but but it was done in a way where it was almost it was almost like his last tango in Paris, right? And um, and again, beautiful, language, camera movements and photography, and letting the actors really become, you know, your your, your familiar to to the viewer. It's funny because even as an editor, and I like sometimes fast edited
1: stuff, but um, what I love about his filmmaking, like, and we were talking about black and white before, like obviously his latest film, Roma. Which uh, I took, I went with friends at work, and we saw it in a theater. And it's funny because I know some people on Facebook. I would have arguments. they like, "Oh, that film bored bored me." And it's kind of like what you say. Like he lets them. He he works on a single frame. He'll move the camera a little bit, but he'll let the action happen within it. Um, right. I think I've only seen Etou Mambien, which I can never pronounce right, and then what's the space one? You know. Right, 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 right. Um, the uh, uh, Gravity. One. Yeah. Which I, so I thought was great. You know. It, it, more of an entertainment film. But, but even, so, even but, in that film, so languid for such a major motion picture. And like, he, like you said, he would just let let the image happen, which, which is, you know, when you're filming people um, on Gravity. And, and I, I love, obviously, you saw Roma, right?
0: Oh, yeah. And, just, and Roma. And I loved... Um, I loved two movies this year. Roma, I thought, was incredible. And I also loved this film called Cold War. Ah,
1: wait, I, that's the other one we went out with friends. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. And that one, he hardly moves the... And here, we need the Google machine, because I can't remember the director's name. I've, have you seen his other film, Ida? No. I-D-A, which he made about four or five years ago. Check that one out. Also, same thing, 4-3, get a little tech-talking in. 4-3 frame, so not 69, not a widescreen. And also, I, I think there were... I think he only films in black and white. Wasn't Cold War Black and White? Yep. And and I just love the fact that like, there's been so much docu style and handheld which is great, but now they're going back to this um you know, hey, let's make a beautiful image. And it's kind of like what you were saying about like make one image, make it beautiful and let the actors perform within that image. I think that's a What well, you
0: mentioned is was um was a great uh technician who would actually only use one lens and it would be on a tripod and the camera would move. You're the Japanese... uh, Oh, uh,
1: not not Crisola, but... um, Uzo. Uzo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. It's like, and I like the fact that filmmaking is coming back to this sort of, you know, we don't need to, and as an editor I say this, you don't need to cut all the time, you don't need to swish the camera all the time like they do in the big Hollywood films. So on that note, I think it's a good way to end on on the single image, which is your...
0: uh, your wheelhouse. It's my it's my day to day.
1: Thanks for coming in. Thank um, you, is there Barney. Anything you want to uh, you have a great. Um, do you want me
0: to do you want me to pitch something? You want a
1: little plug? A you little you plug. have your Instagram. You want people to follow that? Is that... Yeah,
0: my Instagram is. Uh, we have a lot of fun on the Instagram. Uh, <laughs> At Mark you'll see no lunches or breakfast or dinner. You, you don't meals. photograph your lattes. No, I don't haven't done my latte yet. Um, but we do try to keep. Uh, the World Inform is sort of where we're moving to, and uh, I'm actually leaving on uh, Wednesday to go to Japan for the first nice. time for a week. Oh, well, we should have talked about Kurosawa. Which is, which is going to be interesting. I've never been. And uh, But you also have your band? Yeah, Rusty, Rusty Truck. Truck. Now yeah. we play... First of Thursday of every month at Hill Country, Country Barbecue on Twenty Sixth Street.
1: So if you live in New York, get down to Hill Country and first Thursday of every month. It's a real fun time. You and can maybe jump, you'll
0: come join us one night. You can
1: jump join us and tell us what directors' names we got wrong and stuff. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Hopefully, uh, thank you, Barney. I'm sure I'll see you soon. But uh, yes, thanks, Mark. Thank you. Well, that's it, everybody. Our first show is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you want to learn more about Mark Seliger, you can uh, follow his Instagram at Mark Seliger, M-A-R-K-S-E-L-I-G-E-R. If you want to see some work we did together, you may have seen it already. We we, uh, worked on the Avicii Wake Me Up video. That was our most high-profile thing. I'm actually listed as co-director as C.B. Miller, but really I was on the set and helped out, but I was really the editor on it as most people know me. Uh, if you want to drop a note to me, then tell me that you like the show or that you have some suggestions. Um, my email is barneybarnbarn at gmail b-a-r-n-e-y b-a-r-n-b-a-r-n at gmail. Um, I want to give a shout out and thank to David Heller from Assemble Partners. My de facto executive producer And Will Malonez Who is sort of our, on this episode Our remote engineer And he's the on a lot of the podcast coming up We have four in the can This was just the first one So please stick around We're going to try and do them You know, once every other week or so And a shout out to my old band Astro Chicken with John LaProd and Mike Miller For supplying the opening and closing music That you're listening to And one more shout-out to my friend and co-worker Paul Chung, who drew the badass drawing of me (laughs) that makes me look way cooler than I actually am. Uh, And to everybody at White House Post for their support, and to the movie club! We have a little company movie club. We go and see movies every month, and we'll be talking about that in future episodes, too. So, until then... This is Mr. Movie Club signing off. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye.